Welcome back in, man. Appreciate you listening to us today for sure. Particularly me, I'm PK, flying the ship solo today. We got Andy Bailey joining us, and he's coming to us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any iPhone X or 8 and get an iPhone 8 on us. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Andy Bailey, you know and love him. NBA writer for the Bleacher Report, Utah Jazz for Forbes.com. Andy, man, good morning. And uh, the way I look at this NBA Finals, unless the Warriors get healthy, the Raptors are going to bag their first NBA title. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair way to look at it. Uh, Health has been maybe the biggest factor uh, in this NBA Finals. I don't think that's much of a stretch. I, I don't want to take away from how good the Raptors are and how good they've been all season, but I don't. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would say that this would not be different if Kevin Durant was playing, if Clay Thompson was playing. Um, all of Game 3 was fun for me because it's it's always kind of fun for me to see Stephen Curry go off. Um, we almost got like a Davidson-era Stephen Curry game. Yeah, but you kind of knew the outcome from the moment they said Clay Thompson wasn't playing. I, it was it was difficult enough for them to score when Curry and Thompson were playing in games one and two. When when I heard he was out, I just thought that the outcome of this one was decided. Um, he's coming back for game four, it sounds like. But like I said, it was already pretty difficult for them to score with those two guys in the first two games. And who knows what level Clay Thompson's going to be at? I mean, if he's if he's playing at 70 75%, that's obviously better than no Clay Thompson. Um, but the, the health has just been a massive, massive factor in this series. So I guess before the game the other night, the Warriors PA system trolled Drake and they had a Pusha T song, which, you know, and, and, and you know that I'm big into that, that genre of music. And they, that song by Pusha T takes shot at Drake and his family life what have you so i'm wondering when they go back to toronto should toronto have salt and peppa push it as playing in the pregame what do you think um would not be a bad idea that's been a (laughs) (laughs) the the drake subplot for basically the whole playoffs has been i I don't get up as up in arms about it as some people do um i actually thought the shoulder rub on nick nurse was kind of funny but yeah they they probably should give him a little shot back when it goes back to Toronto. <laughs> the push by the minority owner of the Warriors. What in the world was he thinking? And now he ends oh up with gosh. the suspension. I mean, I, well, I guess the fact, the only thing I could think of was it, the frustration of not having your Warrior guys and you're expected to win. And it was clear that they were never going to win that game, as you say. We knew before the game. And the game played out exactly like I think 95% of us thought it would play out is that the Raptors would control the game because the Warriors are greatly watered down. So the only thing I could think of is that minority owner Stevens had a sense of frustration and he took it out on Lowry. Yeah, my, I think there's a possibility of that. The other thing I thought is maybe it's just a knee-jerk reaction that he had. Uh, maybe I mean, he's just really tightly wound up and all of a sudden somebody runs into him and maybe it's just an instinct type of a thing. But there's, I mean, I, I feel like I'm reaching just to find that yeah, excuse. Yeah, it, yeah. it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, for him to do what he did, and some of the some of the pictures, the still photos of what happened are interesting. He's kind of given Lowry a scowl. I don't know if it was right before, or right after the shove. So that would maybe throw the explanation that I just gave out the window. Um, 
he, he seemed like he was put out by the fact that Kyle Lowry was diving into the front row. And if you're, if he's a minority owner and he's sitting courtside, I'm assuming he's probably done it before. Sure. So you have to understand that that's just part of NBA basketball. That, that probably happened. I don't know, once a game, at least. I mean, it's, it's not an uncommon thing for NBA players to go barreling into the courtside seats, um, especially in a, a game as pressure packed as that one. Uh, his fine of $500,000, I'm sure he's a very wealthy guy. I don't know if that'll be a big deal to him. The year-long ban was interesting, too. I I wondered, just about any basic fan does that, and they're probably banned for life. So he, he might have even got off a little bit easy. Um, I know 500000 in a year long may, may seem like a lot to some people, but I, I'm pretty sure it could have been a lot worse if it's just an average fan down there. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's an excellent point. I agree with that, and you think that you'd be prepared for that. And Lowry didn't do anything that hasn't been done a million times over, and it's not like he mm-hmm. was aggressive toward anybody. He's been pretty much a model guy since he's been in the NBA. I don't think he's ever had any issue that we can, at least that I know of. And so when Lowry gets upset, in my mind, he's got a ton of credibility. You know, if it's Draymond Green, it's another story because he's had interactions, even if yeah. even, even if it's not fair to say that Draymond Green's past is indicting him to an extent, we naturally do it. And acknowledging that it's not necessarily fair, you have to uh, look at each situation individually. But Lowry has been great virtually at all times, and so if he's going to get upset, there's something that's got to be legitimate there. So yeah, it's crazy to think. And he of. handled himself yeah. really well. I'm, another thing I thought about is, so maybe maybe it's a knee jerk reaction from the minority owner. What if you get the same thing back from an, an NBA player? Imagine some six eight, two hundred and thirty pound guy just in the heat of the moment swings back. Um, then you have a huge issue on your hands. So the guys, the guys, lucky maybe on a few fronts. Yeah, we have the situation that we had the malice in the palace. Remember that dude came yeah. on came on the floor and he starts getting a little boxing stance and then Jermaine O'Neal just <laughs> clocks. <laughs> yeah, the sliding punch. I'll, I'll yeah. never forget that thing. <laughs> yeah, like you're you're going to get on the floor and you're going to duke out some guy in his prime who's twice your size. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, dude, I, messing with NBA players at the peak of their careers is not something <laughs> I would suggest to many people. Yeah, no doubt. Now, there's some stuff that's going on off the floor, which I think is highly entertaining in terms of intrigue. You know, nothing is going to happen for a few weeks now, but still the speculation leading up to, particularly if the Warriors go down 3-1 and, and Clay Thompson is like 50% and Durant still isn't ready, well, which reminds me of years ago, the Lakers and Pistons. The Lakers were, the Magic went down, Byron Scott went down, Worthy might have even been down. So at that point, I think it was the first one that Detroit won. I was living in L.A. at the time and covering them, and so it was just in a guarantee that Detroit was going to win because the Lakers had nothing there. And that might be the same. Hopefully it's not, but it might be the same here in Oakland. So we're going to turn our attention quickly to free agency if that's the case. So that trade with the uh, Hawks and Nets, that allows the Nets now to have two uh, max slots. Uh, and we hear, and I have no idea if it's true or not, but we hear Kyrie Irving interested. He's a Jersey guy. So Brooklyn, you know, I grew up in Jersey and my grandmother lived in Brooklyn. It's minutes away. So it's home for him. But the intrigue for the rest of the league, if that happens, is you got D'Angelo Russell sitting there, who I believe had a yeah. breakout season this year. He's a restricted free agent. It would seem that the Nets, I, I, I don't know if those two would play well together. I don't know that they wouldn't, 
But I also don't know, that's a valuable commodity, and you would just let walk. And if he does walk, then if they let him walk, he's going to have plenty of options. Maybe even here one in Utah, uh, somebody, had, as I say, had a great season. What do you make of all that? Um, I think you laid the groundwork perfectly there. To me, that trade yesterday was very obviously a signal that Brooklyn thinks that they've, they've got max free agents on the way, possibly multiple max free agents. Uh, if, if they carry D'Angelo Russell's cap hold, they can sign Kyrie Irving um, and still have, I don't know, around $10 million in cap space, maybe maybe 15 I would have to look at the numbers again. Um, but if they renounce the rights to D'Angelo Russell, then, like you said, that opens up two max slots. Um, it's enough for two Kyrie Irving-level maxes, which is 30% of the cap, just based on the number of years he's played. It's a little bit short of the 30% Kyrie Irving need and the 35% that Durant needs. But it's it's really not that short. I mean, each guy would have to take very minimal pay cuts um, to fit in. Or <clears throat> they still have another contract on there that I think a lot of people would like if they want to salary dump Joe Harris. He's a guy that could be interesting in a lot of places. Um, I was mostly thinking about the possibility of Brooklyn renouncing D'Angelo Russell and then the Jazz going after him. But I, I think if they want to create even more cap space and Joe Harris is available. He's a guy that could be really interesting for Utah too. Um, it's not an apple. I mean, it's not a direct comparison, but it's in some ways sort of like a 10 years younger version of Kyle Korver, uh, who obviously had a huge impact on the jazz when he first came over last season. So I, I, I think there are league wide ramifications to that trade. Um, and, and Jazz could absolutely get involved. I think it was Tony Jones uh, from The Athletic uh, just a couple days before the trade tweeted out that Utah would indeed have interest in Russell if he was an unrestricted free agent. And if they renounce him, that's exactly what he becomes. So I think you have a lot of the same sort of fit questions with Russell and Mitchell that you would have with Russell and Kyrie. Um, you know, it, it's not going to be ideal defensively, but the thing that every jazz fan and writer has been talking about for basically the entire season is they need at least one more guy who can kind of get his own shot. D'Angelo Russell is absolutely that. If you take a little bit of that pressure and a little bit of that responsibility off Donovan Mitchell, I think the offense would exponentially be better. We saw so many possessions this past season where teams almost ignored Ricky Rubio. um, And he just, he was not able to make them pay too often this season. And they're not going to be able to do that with Russell. So suddenly if Utah has the luxury of actually being able, able to play five on five on offense, I think it could make a, a massive difference. Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Utah Jazz for Forbes.com joining us. I'll throw some names at you relative to what you think would be good for the Jazz. And I'll just throw out a bunch of names. Danny Green, um, Miritich. I like Danny Green. I was going to, oh, okay. let me name, let me name, name a few. Miritich for the Bucks. The Bucks got a bunch of guys. Brogdon for the Bucks. Bogdanovich for the Bucks. I mean, I don't think they're going to let all those guys go. Or Bogdanovich from the Pacers. And uh, I'm running through the list right now, and I wrote them down. Vujicic, big man, Orlando. Middleton's another guy, but I can't see where they'd let him go. Obviously, we know about Tobias Harris, and, and of course, we already mentioned Russell, guys like Butler and, and Clay Thompson, what have you. But those other guys, you know, the, the Pacers and Bucks guys that I mentioned, uh, I would have to think they've got a realistic shot at some of these guys. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, if, if NBA free agents are looking at basketball fit, it, the, 
there are a lot of guys that should be looking at the Jazz. Um, and I think some of the misconceptions about playing in Utah and living in Utah are starting to be broken down a little bit. Donovan Mitchell had a great quote about it here in the last few days. Um, Carlos Boozer had some great comments about it in that piece with uh, Eric Woodyard. When he, I, I think he basically came out and said it's overblown. Um, the race thing that a lot of people point to, it's, it's, it's nowhere near <laughs> the truth. It's been... Utah, for whatever reason, among NBA markets has been stamped with this label of it's all white people and it's hard for NBA players to live there. And Carlos Boozer did a really good job of refuting that in that interview. So I thought that was cool. That misconception goes away, and I think it obviously helps the Jazz quite a bit. As for the specific names that you mentioned, I think all those guys are probably in play, and I bet the front office has a ton of different contingency plans in place. One of my favorite um routes to go and I, I I don't know if they've explored this. I imagine they've probably turned over every stone. Um but if the Clippers want to create a ton of cap space, they can trade Daniel Gallinari. And Utah just so happens to you can fit his salary in pretty nicely uh, if you trade him for Jay Crowder. And that allows you to keep savers too. Uh, so one thing about free agency is to go after some of the bigger name guys like Tobias Harris, D'Angelo Russell um, if you want to you know, go after Chris Middleton, I agree with you. I think he stays with the Bucks. But just for sake of argument, those big name free agents, you have to renounce – or not renounce. You have to waive that last year Derek Favors contract, which I think is – that's going to be a really tough call. Um, the lineups with him and Joe Ingles against bench units were just dominant this season. And if you have the luxury of a guy who can – I mean, he, he is absolutely a starting caliber center, and for him to sacrifice the minutes the way that he has – um, I, I think that's a guy you probably want to hold on to. Then if you have if you have Gallinari essentially playing the Jay Crowder role, um, that the, the lineups that he's going to be in next to Gobert at the four are just going to be really difficult to stop. So I think they've got a bunch of different ways that they can go. But if if they strike out on the bigger names, I like it. I like Bogdanovich a lot. He's bigger than people realize. I think I think he's six eight, maybe. 220, something like that. So I think he can body up on some of the more modern fours at times. Um, Danny Green is another one that's, that's maybe a lower tier free agent that would make a lot of sense. But yeah, I think there's a lot of options that Utah could consider. And I think the fact that they've got Donovan Mitchell there and Rudy Gobert there, I, I think it's an attractive basketball fit for a lot of these guys. Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report and covers the Jazz for Forbes.com. So you just mentioned a lot of different ways, and I know that they had interest in Gallinari when the Hayward thing was going on, and we know mm-hmm. we, uh, they end up losing on both of those guys, and they're determined that's not going to happen again for sure. So, and you mentioned the enticement of making other moves that would lead you to keep favors, and I think the community would love that uh, because you're right. I mean, what he did, he did very, very well. Uh, so my question for you, do you think that they go, would it be better to go that way? Because they, they they're going to get people. They're going to get players. I have no doubt. I don't know which ones, but I have no doubt they're going to get, they can get players for free agency if they so desire. Do they go that route or would it be better to pursue a trade for somebody like Conley, recognizing that there's going to be risk no matter what you do? I Yeah, I'm more in on trades right now um i think tobias harris is very good and i I think even chris middleton is a guy um what i was gonna say about harris is i'm i'm just not sure i the max contract that's what he's gonna cost but it's just a tough bill for me to swallow 
And I, I think I feel the same way about Chris Middleton. I probably feel the same way about D'Angelo Russell. Um, it, it's going to be the cost of doing business with those guys. But it would just it would make me a little uncomfortable with, with most of the names on the market who are going to get the max. I mean, the ones who are no-brainers are like Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. Um, even Kyrie Irving makes me a little uncomfortable. Skill and talent-wise, I think he's obviously worth it. But we just saw what can happen with him if he's your – he's your de facto leader uh, with what happened in Boston this season. So the max contract is just a little bit scary to me. So having said all that, if you can keep really good team first chemistry type guys on your roster, like Derek favors um, your, your top two is Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, you have another solid chemistry guy, really good player on a good contract in Joe Ingles. And then you just sort of supplement the roster. Um, Utah was already, with all the with all the flaws that they had last season, they were fourth in the NBA in simple rating system, which just combines point differential and strength of schedule. Um, and that was with, like I said, that was with a point guard who really struggled to shoot the ball this season. And I think that impacted their offense greatly. If you can get uh, decent upgrades there and maybe a decent upgrade on the Jay Crowder role, I, I think that would make a huge difference, and it might be a better value play than signing a max free agent like Tobias Harris, who is he is good, but I'm just not sure I could stomach paying that max salary. I don't I don't know if that's unfair, but that's just kind of how I feel about most of these guys who are going to get a max. No, I can buy that completely, man. Uh, just because you're good doesn't deserve doesn't mean you deserve the max, and once you tie up that yeah. money. You know, it's you better hope that when you pay the max that that guy is truly, truly worth it and not just the best option available, so therefore he gets it. I mean, that's two different mm-hmm. things, you know. So I get it. I get your concern, and, and that's something that I would be concerned about. And I see some of these guys, man. They just make enormous amounts of money, and they're not that good relative to in winning. That's my thought yeah. anyway. So. And I mean, if, if, if you do pay Tobias Harris the max, and I think his is going to be – I think he's a 30% figure, so like $32 million would be his starting salary. If you plug him under the Jazz, they are better. But is he is he your fourth best player, third best player, um, and you're paying him $30 million? I, it, it's just it's kind of a tough concept to wrap my head around. Yeah. Andy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.